Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. Well, uh, here we are. Uh, last year in August, I was here by myself, and now I get to be here with my beautiful wife and my beautiful little girl, Brielle. She's uh, two years old, and um, she's a little world changer. And uh, we, um, I'll just share one little story about, we went to Hawaii. She just turned two, and this was in January. She turned two, December 7th. And uh, Julia went to go get the rental car. I stayed back with her and the bags. And, uh, and little Brielle runs over to the security guard and uh, we've got like 12 bags. So we've like a mountain of bags. And want to say something, sweetie? <laughs> She's the cutest little girl. But uh, she runs over to the security guard and puts her hand on her knees and says, uh, pray for you, pray for you, to the security guard. And the security guard. Um, more Jesus. More Jesus. More Jesus. So... That gives you a little indication. Um, well, here we go. More fire. <laughs> More fire. Out of the mouth of babes. And, uh, and so uh, she prays. She says, pray for you, pray for you, and puts her hand on the lady's knees, and she starts weeping. She said, uh, this morning I said, God, if you're real, heal my knees. And so she was literally just two years old, and so I just kind of got to watch and, and be the catcher for my two-year-old daughter. And uh, it was pretty awesome. She got completely healed at the airport. And, um, and uh, it's been pretty awesome because I had an encounter with the Lord. Jesus. <laughs> She's like mommy and daddy. And uh, I had an encounter with the Lord. Do you want to take her for a second? Yeah. And... Um, and I had an encounter with the Lord where she was about seven months old, and the Lord said, uh, Chad, she'll be your greatest, one of your greatest mentors, and she'll teach you how to be present. And uh, I came home, I think it was, she was nine months old, and the Lord said um, to me before, before this, before she was nine months old, I think it was when the same encounter about her being one of my greatest mentors, is uh, the Lord was going to teach me the language of heaven. And so um, she's nine months old. She could only say three words. She could say dada, you know, mama, and, uh, and, and please. Maybe she could say more, too. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think she could say more. She would do more. She would do that whole deal. And, uh, and so, anyways, I come home from work, and she goes, dada. And I go, and then I, that's all she could say. And so I'm like, I just went dada back. Like, and I go, dada, dada. And she's like, dada, dada, dada. And we talked for 45 minutes. It was an amazing conversation. I was like just fully immersed in this conversation. And the father speaks to me and says, Chad, to the level of what Brielle knows English is what you know of the language of heaven. And I was like, oh, dang, all I know is dada? And the father is like, no, Chad, do you understand? Like in the middle of your conversation with her, you were, you were just totally in the moment. You were, you were so happy. You were so like uh, overjoyed, overwhelmed, because you guys were talking. Me and my daughter were talking in the same way you and I are talking. Like we're having a conversation. Like you're getting it. It's a progressing. And that's why she is one of my greatest mentors. But um, I, Julia and I, we really felt like we just wanted to pray for families. 
and, uh, and just uh, pray for family. So I'm going to let Jules share where she wants to go with that, and then we'll go for it. Hello. It's good to be here. Don't? Oh. Okay. Well, um, we, we just love families, and I don't know, I just felt like God wanted to release grace over families, and especially young families that have young children that um, just want more wisdom from the Lord. And we just feel like since we've had, we waited 10 years to have our daughter. Um, we were married 10 years before we had her. We felt like to wait. And um, God's just given us so much grace to be in this season. Um, learning and growing together as a family. And so if you're maybe a young family and you want to receive more prayer, can you stand? for more grace, just for God to give you more grace more in, in parenting and just wisdom from the Lord. We feel like, I don't want to speak for chat, but I feel like for me, it's just been such an amazing experience to experience the Holy Spirit in a new way as a parent and with, with the love of the Father. And so let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for these families, and we pray that you would release grace, just release a supernatural grace and wisdom in their parenting, in their marriages, in their lives, that you just give extra grace and um, wisdom as they're stepping out into being parents and learning how to steward family well. And we just pray that there would just be a grace on them for community and increase. Yeah, Lord, we just pray for sleep. We just pray, Lord, for rest. We just pray, Lord, for just being present. Like, like sometimes I'll get this uh, advice from people. It's not necessarily wisdom. Oh, I bet you can't wait for them to play sports with you. I bet you can't wait for them to go surfing with you. And I'm like, yeah, I can't wait. This moment is beautiful. This moment is precious. I just pray, Lord, for the ability to, to be present and to grab the nutrients of this season and that we would just be so present as parents as a family, and I just pray for precious family times. I pray, Lord, for the miraculous to happen during family times, uh, that there be just a spirit of unity that happens during family time. There'd be a heart connection, and, uh, and also there'd be ridiculous amounts of fun, that, that each family here would have so much fun together. And, uh, and, and I just wanna just champion you guys. Like, I know that world of uh, just getting out of the house is an accomplishment. And so, Lord, we just thank you. We, you are successful right here. Coming to church as a young family, we just honor you that you made it. You did so well getting here this morning. Rock you. All right. Bless you guys. So what an honor to be here with you guys. This is, uh, I worked in Costa Mesa, worked for a, a surf company called Hurley, and I lived in Huntington Beach, grew up in Huntington Beach, born in Hogue Hospital in Newport. And so, yep, there we go. And uh, who was that? It was Jessica. And uh, anybody been born in Hogue Hospital? Have you got any Hogue? Is it just me and Jess? Okay, there we go. There's a few of us. Yeah, Newport Beach, born and raised. And, uh, and so, anyways, it is. It's just such an honor to be with these guys, Presence OC. Uh, Chris Kodosher and I, I think we've been to about uh, six or seven countries together. And sometimes we don't even plan it. Like we don't even, like we kind of just show up in Australia separately and we realize we're in the same area and we get to go surf together and pray for people together. And, 
uh, it's, been, it's been a blast running with these guys. I remember Jesse and Jessica, Julie and I did a double date to go see Despicable Me 1. <laughs> I think that was what, 2007 or 8 or something like that? And, uh, um, you know, just so much fun just doing life. And actually, I'm going to talk about that this, uh, this morning is about community and about friendship and relationships. And I was praying this morning, and I had an open vision where I saw puzzle pieces. And um, I saw puzzle pieces coming together and interlocking, connecting together, and making a beautiful picture. And, uh, and I even saw some, like, you know, like there's a couple missing puzzle pieces. And, you know, like I saw the father looking and, like, finding some under the couch, finding some. You know how you, like, you have a 500 or a 1,000 puzzle piece, and you have, like, a couple missing. And you're just like, Dang! And, and where is that, like, missing puzzle piece? And I feel like, uh, too, that, that there's going to be people that are added that are going to begin to make the picture, the beautiful picture, the beautiful family that is uh, Presence OC. And, uh, and I just feel like that each one of you needs to recognize and just ha- be valued and understand that you are one piece of the puzzle that makes a beautiful picture. And that we all get to run together, which is so, so amazing. And uh, so I'm going to just talk just about community and about covenant and uh, about relationship. And it's so intriguing when we talk about covenant, you know, that we have covenant with God. When we have covenant with God, we are protecting that relationship. We are investing in that relationship. And when we find somebody who's blowing up that relationship, we're like, oh, wow, like how can we, you know, can we prophesy? Let's send them over prophetic words. Let's, you know, let's, let's go to a worship night. Like, you know, hey, how are you doing? Like, screaming, don't blow up that bridge. And then when you have marriages and that are, you know, going through a hard time, it's like, okay, hey, you know, can, let's, let's, let's watch their kids so they could go on date night. Let's encourage them. That's, you know, maybe they will go to Lamb or something like that or like a marriage encounter. And we're screaming, don't blow up that bridge. But why is it in the church, in the areas of friendships, we're okay with you blowing up that bridge? All right. I like her. I was freaking at this one church, and, uh, and I, you know, I'd say a couple, like, drop a couple bombs, and this one guy goes, that's grown-up talk right there. And I'm like, I like that. That's grown-up talk. <laughs> Feel free to use that one. Uh, but, uh, but it's so intriguing, right? Like, you weren't meant to have best friends for a season. You were meant to, to share your life with someone and to run with them and to share your prophetic dreams and to laugh together, to cry together, to do life together, and maybe something happens where it gets inconvenient or you know there, there's something that happens where maybe they talked behind your back or whatever it may be where it begins to cause a wedge within the friendship and you just go, okay, I guess we got to go around the mountain again. Like we got to find somebody else to do life with. Like, there's something about relationships in covenant and, that God has designed relationships. Like, one of the ingredients of relationships is inconvenience. And to understand that when there is inconvenience, that when we invest and we re in and we say, hey, you are a priority, and we say yes to the inconvenience, that begins to build equity and begins to begin to build value in the relationship. 
Like, I thought I knew what love was with my wife when, you know, I was dating her, engaged, and then my first year of marriage, and now I've been married 12 years, and I have a different definition of love. I have a, I have a deeper level of love because we have equity. We have years of saying yes to one another, and there's something about meeting someone who's 40 years married. You know, like they, like they have history together. Like, I love suddenlies, but there's something about time that's so beautiful that you can't get in a suddenly. And when you see time, it's, it's actually equity is a bunch of suddenlies. Because I love suddenlies. Suddenly, each suddenly, like each, you know, suddenly with my wife where we maybe go on, a, you know, a vacation and we just have this amazing time. Like that is building equity in the relationship. Or maybe there was an inconvenience time in our, in our marriage and we just said yes you know, to one another and then it begins to build equity in that relationship. And we're supposed to have that in all of our relationships. So John, we'll make this a legal meeting. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men, the whole world, will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I know uh, this will offend the evangelists in the room, but what if we just forget about loving the world for a second? What if we just, like, focus on loving one another? And actually, if we love one another, that's actually gonna like release of the harvest, it's gonna be one of the biggest harvests we've ever seen if we could actually begin to love one another. And it's a very generalized statement for sure, but what would the world say about the church? Like we don't get along, we, we don't agree on anything, we shoot our wounded, like, like well, but what happens if we begin to model a love that's never even been seen from the world, model a love from like the God of love, a love that doesn't come from emotions, a love that doesn't come from feelings, a love that doesn't come from convenience, but a love that is modeled that's never been seen on the planet. And then that will reveal that we are his disciples and the world will know. And so what is this love? And if you look at John 15, 13, where Jesus says, hey, the greatest manifestation of love is that you lay down your life for your friends. And that's the love that we're talking about, is this place that you lay down your life for your friends, and it's super important that you focus on the friendship part. Because it would be a very religious thing to just focus on laying down your life. I mean, I went to Brownsville in Pensacola, Florida when I was 18, and we would actually, there'd be people that would be arguing about who's gonna be the first martyr. Yeah, yeah, I know, that is just, that is something to laugh about, that's for sure, you know? And I remember being 18 and going, man, these guys are like arguing about who's gonna be the first martyr. And, and sometimes, you know, me being a missionary, uh, and I've been doing missions, you know, my whole life. I was in missionary Indonesia when I was 20. And there is something in us missionaries that we lay down our lives, like we choose the brown robe, we, you know, and it's, and sometimes the focus becomes laying down your life, the sacrifice. Jaji Lake burying his wife and his children in South Africa, you know, going to China and you're going to lose, you know, your whole family, like, you know, lay down your life for the gospel. And that's amazing and incredible. But the focus has got to be friendship and the equity of your friendship. Then it's so easy to lay down your life because of the equity of relationship that you have. 
About four of you got that, but it's okay. Um, but Jesus modeled this love, right? Like he went to the cross and he definitely had me in mind, you in mind. When that nail was going in, he was thinking about us. But I think when that nail was getting deeper and deeper, he started thinking about his best friends. He started thinking about the people that he did life with, that he had fish tacos with, that he slept in caves with. He started thinking about Peter, James, and John, his best friends. I think he had them in mind when, that, when it was getting pretty crazy. The greatest manifestation of love is that you lay down your life for your friends. He had done life with these guys. And let's just think about like the human side of Jesus for a second in the areas of him giving this prophetic word, even you, Peter, are gonna deny me. Like that's his best friend. And he's going up, he's taking up the cross, and he sees a mob around his best friend, and then he hears the rooster crow, and, and just think about, like, what is going on in the heart of Jesus, like, as a human. That he's watching his best friend blow up the bridge, the relational bridge, where, where people are saying, didn't you hang out with Jesus? Didn't you do life with Jesus, Peter? And he's like, uh-uh, no, 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 you're confusing me with someone else. Me and him have not done life together. I do not know this man. And he is just blowing up the bridge. And just think about what Jesus is going through. And then what happens, like, when Jesus gets resurrected? What's the first act of Jesus? He sees Mary. He says, sorry, Mary, I can't talk to you. I need to go and see my friend Peter. It's one of the greatest messages of restoration and fighting for friendship. Sorry, Mary, I need to go and see my friend Peter. Like, because when I left this planet a couple days ago, three days ago, like, my best friend blew up the bridge. And I'm here to see the bridge get restored. And so he goes and sees Peter, and Peter's like, are you kidding me? I didn't even know this was possible, even though he had all the, the breadcrumbs, no pun intended, to show that Jesus is going to be resurrected. And he's like, oh, wow. Jesus is here, and he jumps out of the boat and swims to him, doesn't even wait for the boat to get to the shore. And it is an amazing picture of two friends coming back together. You know, I love, uh, my wife and I, we live in Reading, and, uh, and we've been running with Bethel Church since 2002. My wife has been living there since 1999. And uh, obviously, we've lived in, uh, in Laguna de Gal for a few years. We've traveled around the world, but we've always been connected to Bethel. And it's a pretty amazing place to be connected to because these guys have been doing life for decades. Like, I, I, you know, the Bill and Chris, they, they were in Weaverville together, and they would just, they would just like, hang out on the front porch and just dream about, hey, one day we're going like, to pour in and we're going we're gonna to raise up hundreds of revivalists. Now it's like thousands. We have like 2,600, you know, students in the school ministry each year. And, uh, but they would just dream together. They were friends that dreamt together. And it's so intriguing to me when uh, Danny Silk came out with the book, Culture of Honor, and he talks about the apostles and prophets. And sometimes when I travel, there'll be pastors say, hey, I just read the book, Culture of Honor. And we did like a leadership retreat. And we all discovered that I'm the apostle. And, oh, it really worked out well because our senior associate's a prophet. So that's perfect. The apostle and prophet are there. Now, Chad, do you know anybody, like, around Bethel, like, unemployed, like, kind of Danny Silks? Like, do you, know any, do you know any, like, pastors that aren't employed? And I go, well, you should probably check your local butcher shop because that's probably where Danny Silk is hiding. 
Because back in Weaverville days, in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, like Bill was a pastor of 200 people, Chris Valentin was a mechanic, uh, Danny Silk was a butcher, Charlie Harper is over all of our building stuff, was a real estate agent, and they just did life together. And will you just pour into Danny Silk the butcher before he becomes Danny Silk the pastor? And will you just pour into Danny Silk the butcher because you actually like hanging out with him? Not because of who he's going to become, but actually you just love doing life with him. And I'll never forget graduating first year of school ministry back in 2003, in the, in the spring of 2003, and Bill was saying, hey, you know, for those that are going on to second year, like, what do you want? What are you, what are you, what are you looking forward to? What are your expectations? And people were saying, hey, I, you know, I want to travel with you more. I want to, you know, I want more relationship with you, Bill, more relationship with Chris. And the Lord says to me, Chad, look to your left and right. Look to the person behind you. That is tomorrow's Bill and Chris. Start now. And so I had friends that maybe you guys have heard about uh, in the sense of like Joaquin Evans, Chris Overstreet, uh, you know, Banny Liebscher. I remember when he was just a youth pastor, me and him were in a small group together with three other people. And, and he would just talk about his first daughter, you know, who was two years old, where that's now where I'm at, you know, with a two-year-old. And it's, so it was just, just so much fun doing life with these guys, being a basketball league with Banning in 2002. And, 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 and you know, me and Banning got to go to the uh, game five of the Golden State Warrior NBA Finals, which was amazing. But it's just something about having equity and something about having history and, and being friends for 15 years. I have friends from my junior high days. And there's just something about having friends that you run with for decades. And there's moments of inconvenience. Like when I moved out of Reading and into Southern California in 2005, I began to fight for my friendships that, that were living in Reading, meaning that I was intentional. Like you have to be intentional. You have to be purposeful. Like, you know, you have to begin. And so we would Skype. Remember when Skype was around? It still is. I don't even I don't even use that anymore. But anyways, you know, we would Skype one another when my, my wife and I were traveling around the world. Like we did a monthly Skype with Chris Overstreet, with like Joaquin Evans, with Sean Bowles, like people that we were, you know, just pouring into is in the place of just friendship where we would just connect. I mean, another great thing about friendships and about relationships is eating together. I mean, there are some crazy, crazy stories about around meals. Like, let's eat together. Let's play together. Let's have fun together. Like, let's not just do ministry together. Let's not just pray for the sick together. Like, let's do life together. Sometimes I'll be speaking at like prophetic conferences or maybe I'll call out two guys in a meeting and I'm like, oh, there's a David Jonathan anointing on you. And, you know, you guys are David Jonathan's. You guys got to run together. And you kind of see them both of their eyes closed like, God, I hope I'm David. I hope I'm David. And see, I think Jonathan gets such a bad rap. Like I could totally, I've heard messages and rightly so, like David having the attributes of Jesus and Joseph having the attributes of Jesus. But Jonathan had one of the greatest attributes of Jesus that he laid down his life for his friend. Here, turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. 
This is the story of David and Jonathan and their hearts becoming knitted together. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So what's going on there? Obviously, you're seeing this heart connection, them becoming one, loving you know, Jonathan loving David as, as he would love himself. And there is this amazing connection. But let's just think about the perspective of Jonathan. Like, what was going on with Jonathan? Like, his, from birth, his whole identity is to be the prince, is to be the next in line to be king. Like, everything he's doing, uh, his teachers, his, you know, his, his mentors, all these different guys are positioning him, setting up for him from success, giving him language, giving him wisdom on how to be the greatest king. Like, he's having meals with his dad, Saul, where his dad is saying, hey, Jonathan, this is how you carry yourself as king. This is what I've learned. These are like, you know, the things that I've had to learn the hard way, the easy way. Like, these are going to help you become king. His whole identity, this robe that he is wearing, there is no other robe out there that's like this robe. And whoever sees wearing this robe, it symbolizes you are next in line to be king. And then suddenly, Jonathan sees David kill Goliath, and he's like, oh, wow, this this anointing that I've been cultivating, this thing that I've been cultivating, positioning myself, getting ready for, stewarding, it's not on me, it's on him. And he had the security and the ability to take off his robe and put it on David. Like, it's so important that we are so secure in our identity with the spirit of adoption, the father's love, knowing that we're a son and daughter, that, that, that we don't have to be in competition with one another. We don't have to be comparing one another, like why him and why not me, all that stuff. No, no, no. Jonathan had the ability of taking off that robe and putting it on David. And I think what Jonathan was having, like where they were becoming one in the spirit, was like, okay, David's like, like this alliance, this relationship you're forming, God, is amazing. It's perfect that you would connect my heart to this guy's heart because I am going to be the one that's going to set David up for success because his breakthrough is my breakthrough. What, what, what he gets breakthrough in, I get breakthrough in. And I'll never forget, uh, I was praying, God, give me a revelation about marriage when I was engaged to my beautiful wife, Julia. And I had a dream. I had a dream that Julia was in Brazil and I was in India. And Julia saw all these crazy, like, salvations. I saw these crazy healings. And I'm walking. This is a dream. I'm walking in heaven and I see this, like, scribe angel. He's writing stuff down. And he's writing stuff about my life. And he's like... Chad saw on this day, you know, 10,000 people healed in India and 10,000 people saved in Brazil. And I look at him, I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 buddy, you got your facts wrong. Like, I was the one in, uh, in India and my wife was the one in Brazil. And he starts laughing. He goes, no, you don't understand. Like, when she steps into breakthrough, you get to share in the fruit. You're one in the spirit. And vice versa. And we don't just reduce that to marriage, meaning that you could be connected to people's hearts. You could have healthy soul ties of running together, brothers and sisters, where you are joined together and their breakthrough, their fruit, is, is, is you get credit for. 
And Jonathan understood this, like, oh, wow, like, I'm going to help David become the greatest king, and it's like me being king. Like, I get to share in the fruit of, of, of him being king. But there's moments of inconvenience. Like, look at 1 Samuel 20. We'll go with uh, 1 Samuel 20, verse, verse 30. This is definitely a moment of inconvenience. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's, uh, that's pretty intense. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your, of your mother who bore you as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth? Neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. So Jonathan's put in a pretty interesting situation, like choose your household or choose the son of Jesse. And his dad is trying to stir up to try to trigger uh, uh, an emotional response, right? Like, you know, he's got mom jokes going on, like he's slamming his mom, you know, like, you know, he's trying to get an emotional reaction from Jonathan. And he's trying to give him the wrong kind of generational inheritance. He's saying, son, this is your chance for your kingdom to be established forever. Like, I had my shot, and I blew it because the fear of man was in my life. And you need to understand, this is your moment. This is your moment for your kingdom to be established forever. And Jonathan, like, he loved his dad. He died with his dad. He loved, it was a tough, like, point of decision. And he said, dad... I am, I know this is my shot for my kingdom to be established forever. That's why I'm choosing the son of Jesse. Like there doesn't need to be competition. There doesn't need to be us and them. Like, no, we're connected at the heart. We're doing life together. And his breakthrough is my breakthrough. This is my shot for my kingdom to be established forever. And so he tells his dad... Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. That's a sozo moment. That's a definite inner healing moment. Where was Jesus when uh, your dad hurled the spear at you? Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. And there were so many moments, right, in 1 Samuel where Jonathan could have done nothing and David would have died. But he fought for his friend. So this is, uh, this is definitely something that I've given my life to is friendship, is relationships. That it's something that I so value. And, you know, Jesse gave uh, Julie and I such an amazing introduction about just friends with God. And that is, that's our number one priority. And friendship with him. And then I just truly believe uh, my vertical relationship with God, my friendship with God, and my friendship with others are very, very, very connected. How can you say you hate your brother and love God? Like, they have to be congruent. They have to be flowing together where I am investing in my friendship with him, but also my friends around, and I discover God in my horizontal community, in my friendships, and then I discover God in my vertical relationship. But it's, it's both that are going on in my life that I'm investing in. And I was always known as the little kid, like my parents would go play tennis and I'd play in the playground at like three and four years old. And, and they would like look over after like 15 minutes and I'd have everyone playing a game that played in the playground that came separately. And, you know, I just always was making friends everywhere I went and I just love friendship. And I remember 
When I was 12 years old, uh, there was a family that got radically saved at my parents' church. They lost their dad to cancer. The mom uh, was addicted to pain medication, and uh, she gets radically saved. And then her two sons that were still living in the house get saved, and they were my age. Uh, one was exactly my age, and one was year year younger. And, uh, and they had brothers that were outside the house that were addicted to drugs, dealing drugs. And uh, we became brothers. We became best friends. It was, their names were Vinny and Chris. They became best friends. We played basketball together. We surfed together. They would stay at my house when I wasn't even there. And uh, like, they would eat my food when I wasn't even there. Like, they were like sons of the family. And their brothers, when they turned about 13 or so, began to really influence them into doing drugs. So they started smoking marijuana, and they would always ask me, hey, Chad, do you want to smoke? I'm like, no, no. And then it, I got to this point where I began to get really mad at my parents. Like, hey, I was born into this, you know, like lifestyle, and, and you know, it's like completely different from my other friends that their parents work like 60 hours, and my parents were always like, home and taking me on outreaches and all stuff. So I got in this whole like rebellious place. And then I started, you know, doing drugs with my, my, my best friends. And, um, yep, this is your special speaker. And, uh, don't worry. This is just like eight months ago. It's totally fine. And, uh, and so, so we started, you know, we started, there was a number of times that I almost died. Um, I had one time where we were, you know, dealing drugs, and a, another drug dealer came up and took a gun and to my temple, pulled the trigger, and the gun jammed. There was a number of different things like that that happened where I knew that God was actually protecting me. Like, there was a hedge of protection. And I would, when I was doing drugs, I would see Jesus in the corner, like in the spirit realm. I would see Jesus in the corner weeping. And I'd just be like, you know what? I'm making my own decisions. Like, I, it was pretty, I wasn't doing very good. And when I was 14, Jesus came into my bedroom and said, Chad, I'm going to either hand you over to Satan or you're going to be my best friend. And so I looked at him and I said, Jesus, I've always known you're the only way, the truth, and life. Like, I want you to be my best friend. And he wraps his arms around me. And it was in that moment that I just, like, became a new creation. All that addiction, all that rebellion just lifted off. And I just felt pure love. And it was incredible. And... When you become a new creation, not everyone gets the memo, right? <laughs> like, you've blown up some bridges. Now it's time, like, as a new creation, you got to rebuild some bridges. But, but like, you know, I, and that was a Saturday night, and I had uh, gotten caught with drugs the, the night before, and, and my parents were a wreck. They were the worship leader and, like, the pastor, the speaking pastor, and my dad was up on the guitar just weeping, and my mom's a mess, and... This lady comes up to me and spits in my face and says, you make me sick. You're tearing your whole family apart because you're addicted to drugs. And I look at her and I'm like, you're talking about my old man. Like, that was 12 hours ago. He's dead. <laughs> that's that's grown-up talk. And so, you know, it was, it was stuff that I had to go through. And, and later that afternoon, my, my dad calls me up to his bedroom and says, where is it? Where's the money? It was just his birthday. And he had $600 someone had given him to uh, get a new pool table. And, and, and he was, you know, he comes up there and it's gone. And I had stolen from my parents a number of different times. And me and Vinny would steal from my parents. And Vinny was at my house the night before. And 
He goes, well, if you didn't take it, who would have taken it? And I'm like, well, maybe Vinny. And so he goes, well, then let's go to Vinny's house. Vinny isn't there. My dad says, well, where, where would he be? And I'm like, well, there's this one house that we always party at. And we go there, and there's about 20 of our friends there. And they're all like late teenage years, really, really crazy. I mean, we're doing maybe some like harder drugs, and it's no longer marijuana. And it's, it's pretty intense. Like these guys get into fights just for fun. And my dad is trying to blow up the bridge, and like he's fighting for his son's life. Like, he's like, okay, if I punish Vinny and Chad together, it'll probably bond them, and they'll become even closer. And so he was trying to sever this, this bridge, and he was just a, doing his best attempt as a dad. This is before Danny Silk. This is before all that other stuff. This is, you know, 1995. And my dad says to me, Chad, you are going to beat Vinny up. And so we go walking over there, and I'm like, okay, the WWJD bracelets were really popular back then. So I was just like, what would Jesus do? Like, you know, would Jesus beat up Vinny? I, I don't think so. And so I'm like, okay, God, like, help me out in this situation. And my dad is pretty, like, intense, uh, pretty, you know, upset. And he, he looks at, like, these 20 guys, and he's like, hey, Chad here um, is going to beat up Vinny. If any of you have a problem with that, like Vinny's brothers are there, if any of you have a problem with that, you can fight my son right now. I don't care if it's all of you. But if you don't want to fight my son, then you need to leave right now. And I'm like, oh wow, here we go. And they all look at me, they all look at my dad, and they all look at Vinny, and they all leave. And so I'm like, God, help me out in this situation. And, and so we confront Vinny, and somehow, like, you know, Vinny's just weeping because you have to think about Vinny's perspective. Like his whole world is being blown up. You know, he, he is now seeing like a severance of his spiritual family and he is feeling pretty betrayed by me. He thinks I threw him under the bus and that I'm accusing him of stealing this money. And so, but he is just like crying saying, Kevin, you've been like a father to me. Uh, you know, I would never steal that much money from you. I I'm so sorry, all sorts of things. And I ended up not beating up Vinny, thank Jesus. So Vinny is feeling pretty hurt, and I think he wanted to get back at me. And so he calls my dad the next day and says, hey, I want to confess, me and your son took that money when I never knew. I mean, the reason why I probably didn't take my dad's money is because I didn't know he had it, to be honest. I'm just being honest with you because I had stolen from him many times before, but I didn't know he had this money, and, you know, Vinny did take the money, and then he knew how to get back at me because I had really no equity with my dad in the areas of trust. And I remember my dad hanging up the phone and just crying and saying, a little bit of the trust that I had with you is now gone, that you would steal this money and lie to me about it. And it really kind of spun my relationship with my dad for about like a good 18 months, 24 months. Like it was pretty tough where it began to create this hate towards Vinny, my brother. And you understand, like, you know, my dad, I love my dad. Like, we have, you know, we, we, we've wrote, written a book together. Uh, he's amazing. And, uh, but just those, like, two years, it wasn't too good for us. And I began to have dreams about beating up Vinny. I used to, like, I mean, I carried hate towards my brother Vinny. And it was my sophomore year of high school, it was uh, right after a New Year's Eve, like, Christian concert, and I, we're driving home. It's like 1 a.m., 
And there is a car wrapped around a telephone pole, um, and it, that, was, that was like Hamilton and Bouchard in Huntington Beach. And so um, the next day, I, I go to basketball practice. I come home. My parents say, hey, we need to sit you down on the couch. We need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, what's going on? Am I in trouble about something? And they say, hey, your friend who used to collect comic books in the fifth grade, he was in a car accident last night. Now, I haven't told you about this guy. This guy, we collected comic books in the fifth grade, and I got him high for the first time in seventh grade. I introduced him into a lifestyle of drugs. Then I discover, his name is Timmy, and I discover he's now dead. He was doing nitrous and speed, and he was driving this vehicle going 80 miles an hour. He hit a telephone pole, and he died on impact. His heart exploded. And the girl, there was a girl in the passenger seat. She went through. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt, went through the windshield. She's in ICU. She's going to make it. But then Vinny was in the back seat behind the passenger seat, and he had the nitrous tank in his, in his lap. The nitrous tank took off most of his face. They had to sew his nose back on. He had a punctured lung. He was, he was in a coma, and his brain was swelling. And so because of him being in a coma, they couldn't treat him. They couldn't give him antibiotics. They couldn't, you know, like, you know, yeah, because he needed to come out of his coma. He needed to become conscious so then they could begin to treat him. And he, the doctors were giving him less than a 10% chance of living. So I went surfing because that's where I hear God's voice the strongest. And so I'm out surfing, and I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? He goes, you know what you need to do. You need to go and forgive Vinny and ask for forgiveness for carrying hate towards your brother. And so I'm like, okay. And I get home, and I tell my parents, can you take me to the hospital? And so they take me to the hospital. On the way, I'm going, oh, no. Like, what is Vinny's family going to say? Like, I'm coming, you know, into this this situation, and we, they know the strife. Like, like, I would go and find Vinny. Yep, again, special speaker. Um, the end of my freshman year, I beat up Vinny. I was carrying some anger, some hatred towards my brother, and I walk in, like, to the hospital, and his brothers grab me, and they begin to embrace me, and then they tell uh, the doctors, this is Vinny's other brother. He needs to go in there and say goodbye. So they bring me in there into ICU. He's on death's doorstep. He's, his body is like, you know, purple, orange, all these different colors. He's fighting all these infections. And, and uh, he's hooked up to all kinds of machines. And I go, Vinny, Vinny, Vinny. And then right when I'm just saying his name, that's all I'm doing. And he is going crazy. His, all the limbs are going nuts. And like, he's like seizuring and all this stuff. And the nurses grab me, his heart like rate went way up and they, and they take me to this other room and they say, hey, he, he recognizes your voice. Like he knows who it is and he's responding to your voice. And I'm thinking, yeah, he probably thinks I'm in there to kill him. <laughs> and so he calms down and then I go in there and I just start crying. And I say, Vinny, it breaks my heart to see you like this. And it was at that moment that I realized with all the hate and anger underneath there was ridiculous love. Like the more you get offended or the more you get hurt or the more hate you have, it begins to unravel and, uh, and reveal how much love you have. And I just begin to connect to like, this is my brother and he is about ready to die. Like this is my best friend, he's about ready to die and my heart is broken and I just begin to tell him, 
you know, Vinny, I'm so sorry that I carried hate towards you. Like, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for wanting to kill you? For wanting, like, I'd have dreams about killing him. Like, I was dealing with some, like, you know, pretty serious, like, hate stuff. And I just began to let it go. And I began to tell him, Vinny, I love you like a brother. You are my brother. And I forgive you for falsely accusing me of stealing, you know, money from my dad when I never did. Like, I forgive you. And and I just love you. And I said, Vinny, it's not too late. Jesus is right there. Just run to Jesus. Put your arms around him and just embrace Jesus and make it like, just ask him to be your best friend. And tears are coming down his face while he's in a coma. And I leave, and a couple of hours later, the phone rings, and it's Vinny on the phone. He came out of his coma, and he said, Chad, I heard you. I heard you when you were praying for me, and I saw Jesus, and he was so far away, and I ran and ran and ran, and suddenly I got to him, and I put my arms around him, and the moment my head hit his chest, I came out of my coma. Like, we have a God of restoration. And he wants to rebuild bridges, and also he wants to strengthen bridges. That there's Jonathan-David relationships in this room. That he wants to strengthen friendships. He wants to strengthen community. That he wants to, uh, uh, but also he wants to rebuild bridges. That there might be relationships that we've had in our past that have blown up, but that we be powerful people that communicate, hey, this bridge is open for construction. And it takes, you know, at least two parties to have covenant. But you're not responsible for the other party, that you be a powerful person on your end of the bridge and that you would communicate, hey, this bridge is open. Amen. Yes, me and you, buddy. <laughs> this bridge is open. You know, we have like these two lies, right, with, with relationships. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, time heals all wounds. So just let it simmer. Like, just let some time pass. Time heals all wounds. And then you, like, enter another lie that says, oh, just bury the hatchet. Like, don't bring it up. It's weird to bring it up. And I'm just telling you, today's the perfect day. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Today's the perfect day to communicate your rebuilding bridges and your strengthening bridges in your life. I had the privilege of being a junior high pastor for a number of years, and uh, it was amazing. It was one of the most fruitful times. We had crazy, like, healings happen, the prophetic, and these junior high kids were, were they were, like, amazing. They were just powerful world changers at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and there was one kid who was 12 years old, and he was going through some hard times. Like, he started kind of, you know, getting into, like, some fights, getting into some trouble. And I, like, meet with him. I'm like, hey, buddy, what's going on? What's, what's happening in your life? Like, and he goes, man, my, my mom and dad have been divorced for, you know, like six months. And I live with my dad. And I'm not only separated from my mom, but my, brothers, my brother and sister. Like, I don't get to hang out with them at all. And I'm like, okay, you know what? You're a world changer. You're not a victim. Like, you're called to change your world, and your world is your family. So that's, 
Let's start meeting together, and we will come up with a game plan, a strategy on how you are going to change, you know, your world. Let's just start with your, like, let's start with your brother. And so he goes, I'm, I'm like, what do you fight the most about with your brother? And he's 12, and he's like, yeah, we fight about the Xbox. You know, when we get together over the weekend, like, who's, who, who's going to play their favorite game first? Who's going to sit in the best seat? You know, all that other stuff. And I said, okay, then I want you to come up with the game plan, and then come talk to me the next week and tell me how it goes. And so he comes in, he's like, that was the best week ever. Like, we had the most epic weekend. I had his game ready. I had, like, his favorite chips, his favorite drink, all this sort of stuff. And, and we had the most amazing bonding weekend together. And then he begins to just pour into his, his mom. Like, his mom comes and goes, hey, are you guys getting ready to go like, on a retreat or go to Disneyland? Like, does he need money for something? Because it's not Mother's Day. It's not my birthday. And he wrote a card. He made a card of the 10 things that he loves about me. And I just go, hey, that's your son just saying he wants, you know, a deeper relationship with you. That he, he just wants to do life with you. Like he wants, a, 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 you know, a deeper connection. And then his dad comes and picks him up. And his dad's, you know, not really like, you know, he's not in the church. He's not, maybe he's not even a Christian. But he just picks up his son and he comes and grabs me. And I've only had a couple interactions with him. And he goes, man, I, uh, I had a crazy thing happen to me last week. I had one of the worst days in the office, and I came home, and my son sits me down and, and says, Dad, I, I, need to, I need to talk to you. And he starts telling me things that I haven't told anyone else, like things that are in my heart. And so his son is prophesying over him, and he's trying to explain this. He's like, and, and then my son comforted me, and he's like, is that, is that a, little, like, a little strange? Like, shouldn't I be comforting my son? And he's comforting me, and, and I didn't really want to talk about, like, okay, hey, this is, like, 1 Corinthians, this is the prophetic, and these are gifts of the Spirit. Like, I, I didn't know where he was at in his walk with God, so I just said, hey, that's your son saying that he loves you. Like, he, he, he is just investing in the relationship, and, he, and, you know, the dad is just taken back. And so, you know, a couple months of, I mean, like, his mom would come to me and go, it's crazy. We haven't asked him to take out the trash in a month. I'm like, that's revival. And so I'm just watching this, like, world changer, you know, just changing the atmosphere of his family. And he walks in, and, we, you know, we're in our regular meeting, and he walks in and he goes, Chad, my dad went on a date last night. And I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go. Let's, let's navigate, like, new mom, new dad. Like, oh, so. And I'm like, okay, yeah, buddy, it's, like, it's totally normal. Like, you know, I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. My dad went on a date with my mom last night. And we began to just worship the God of restoration. And it was one of the most pure worship services I've ever been in, and it was just the two of us. And then we get to watch his parents fall back in love and get remarried again. And so I just want to let you know that you are not a victim. You are a powerful person and that, that you can begin to influence and create an atmosphere around you where it is. You begin to see the God of restoration in your life. So with that, stand with me. And I'm just going to just put your hand on your heart. You know what? This is what we're going to do. Well, before I pray for you, I want you to break out your cell phones. 
and I want you to bring out your cell phones, and I want you to text somebody that's like a Jonathan, that's like a David in your life, and I want you, you know, somebody that you're strengthening the bridge, that you're running together, and I want you just to, to text them and just say, hey, so value our relationship. I'm so thankful to God that we're running together. Like, whatever language you wanna use, just begin to just communicate, hey, I'm so thankful that you're in my life. And then I want you to text or Facebook message or whatever you wanna do, Skype. Um, I, want you to, I want you to reach out to someone that you've not talked to in three months or longer. It doesn't mean that you are, are you know, not doing well or there's strife or there's a broken bridge. But maybe somebody you haven't talked to in three months or longer that God's just going to put on your heart. And I want you just to text them and say, hey, just thinking about you. Let's connect. And so while you're doing that, I'm just going to pray over you. So, Lord, I just thank you that you're restoring bridges in Orange County. You're restoring bridges in Presence OC, that, that you're strengthening bridges, that you're raising up Jonathan and Davids, you're raising up world changers that run together, that have each other in mind, that you would begin to develop a community of friends where it is so easy to lay down your life for one another because of the equity of friendship, because of the value of friendship. And Lord, I pray that you would restore relationships and that we would begin to see resurrection in relationships and that we would know that, that it's never too late to see a relationship restored. And that you would begin to give us creative ways to see relationships restored. Maybe it's sending someone a card. Maybe it's sending someone flowers. And, and, uh, or maybe it's just choosing to forgive. Maybe, I know there's people here, you've been hurt by people, and you could be justified in your hurt, but that you would begin to choose to forgive. And so, Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in this community, that you are strengthening the, the bridges of this community, that you're making them a family, that you are creating a beautiful picture, and each one of us is a puzzle piece. And Lord, that each one of us would feel like we have something to contribute, that not one person in here would feel lonely, feel disconnected, feeling like they can't contribute. We break off shame, and we just say that you are a beautiful piece of the picture. And so, Lord, I just thank you that this is a community that fights for one another. This is a community that cheers one another on. And so, Lord, just wreck us this morning. Yeah, I just saw um, a picture of these mountains. And some people in the room, I feel like it's for some certain people in the room, but you feel like there's these huge mountains. They almost look like the Alps or something that was like massive mountains. And you felt like God is telling you to climb over these mountains and the mountains represent relationships or places of strain or disconnect in your life. And I just saw the Lord come with like this big, it was almost like a, I don't know how many people do um, woodworking and stuff, but it was almost like a construction saw. I don't even know what it's called, but it was like a round construction saw that had like a bunch of sharp edges on it. So I think it's like maybe a wood saw. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I saw the Lord and he came and he just cut off the tops of the mountain peaks and like flattened out the mountains and said, see, look, it's not that big to climb. 
And I just feel like I want to release for, for those people who feel like, you know, maybe, maybe you've been looking at these mountains for a long time, or maybe you've been in the valley for a long time, and you're not quite sure how to get up and over these mountains, and relationally not sure how to, how to cross over. But um, I just want to release strength to you, and courage to you, and boldness to you, and just a word from the Lord that says, see, it's not that difficult. It's not too difficult for you. Take my hand. I want to bring you up and over. And I want to take you on the other side where the promised land of my living with you is a place of victory and a place of love and a place of release and a place of surrender. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that there would be a, a place of surrender this morning, a place of letting go, a place of opening up our hands and letting you just take everything that's challenging, everything that's difficult, everything that seems insurmountable, those mountains that seems insurmountable. And Lord, we just agree with you and your promises that says we can go with you and you'll give us the strength and you'll give us the courage and you'll give us the boldness to do it. So Lord, we just release a spirit of breakthrough this morning in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.